Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Hoop Heads podcast. I know that we have been on a little bit of a hiatus, so thank you for all of you who are joining in and uh, rejoining us as we continue the podcast that discusses all things NBA basketball. Now, I know that in our current political climate, uh, the State of the Union address has been something of hot debate lately, and so I thought it would be appropriate to restart Hoopheads basketball by taking a break from politics so we could take a look at the state of the association. Now, we're going to look today at everything that is happening on the NBA at this point of the season. We're going to talk about the highs, the lows, and what we can expect to see between now and the rest of the season. So stick around. So we're going to start on the positive side of things, and we're going to take a look at the top five teams who have pleasantly surprised uh, up until this point of the season. Now, as of right now, most teams in the league have played at least 50 games. Some have played a few more. And uh, we've gotten a good barometer of where each team is headed for their seasons. We know who's playing for the playoffs, and we know who is playing for ping pong balls. So that being said, let's take a look at the top five pleasant surprises of the 2018-2019 NBA season. At number five, I have the Portland Trailblazers. Now, I admit I am a Portland fan, so this is a little bit of a homer pick. But the Portland Trailblazers have definitely exceeded expectations for where I think most people expected them to be at this point of the season. Uh, you look at their their year last year, and they finished number three in the West, which was, again, probably overachieving. But a lot of people, I think, put a disclaimer on their final seeding because, well, obviously they got swept by the Pelicans in the playoffs. But also because there was a lot of close competition in the West that year, and part of the reason they were able to take advantage of that competition was because there were some key injuries to some big players on some of those teams competing for the uh, for the playoff spots. Also, you look at where the three team finished and where the number eight team finished. I think there was like a three game difference between the three seed and the eight seed in the West, so it was still very cluttered, and, and the Blazers were not a, a clear cut better than the teams in the lower half of the playoff bracket. So uh, I know that over the offseason, a lot of people were kind of speculating that Portland would be in the, the lower seeds, uh, probably in that 6, 7, 8 seed, maybe even on the outside of the playoffs looking in. But 50 games into the year, they're 30 and 20, 10 games above 500. They have the four seed. They're only one game back uh, from the three seed. And they're starting to separate themselves a bit from the lower teams in the playoff brackets. And uh, a big reason for this has been their internal development. Now, Portland did not go out and get any big talent over the summer. They didn't make any big trades. The most notable free agent acquisition they picked up was Steph Curry. Sorry, excuse me, Seth Curry, not to be confused with Steph Curry. Uh, and a big reason for, for their limited offseason movement is because, one, they're, they're way over the cap with uh, contracts uh, to Evan Turner and to Myers Leonard that add up to $27 million. Uh, and, two, they're not a huge free agent destination market. They have a very hard time, even when they do have cap space, attracting those big names and those really talented players. Um, so Portland is kind of in limbo as far as what they can do for roster improvement, but they've been able to put together a very nice season and some of their players have really stepped up. Yusuf Nurkic is definitely one of them. He's scoring more. He's scoring more effectively, more consistently. Uh, he has been tenacious on the offensive boards. He's bringing great defense 
to the team. So he's been a huge asset. He's also a very good passer, which is an underrated aspect of his game. Um, but he has been a huge compliment to the Blazers' offense. He's been a huge anchor for their defense. So all in all, you can say that he has really closed that gap uh, from Portland's second-best player to the third-best player. And he is, you could say, part of a big three there in Portland. Um, and then you also have players like Jake Lehman, Myers Leonard, players who were all but written off last year. They've been able to contribute. Yes, Myers Leonard is still very overpaid for what he brings to the table, but at least he's become effective and productive in his minutes. Jake Lehman has been a huge surprise. He can hit threes and he can drive to the hole. He's very athletic, so he's been on the receiving end, a lot of alley-oop lobs. Um, and then you also have Evan Turner, who has been uh, able to, again, find an effective role. He Is he worth the $17 million he's getting paid a season? No, not even close. But he is a great playmaker for that second unit. And the Blazer bench uh, has had several games this season. They've put together 40 or 50-point outings, which last season was completely unheard of. Uh, they don't lose leads when they come in. And there's even been a few games where the starters haven't been able uh, to put Portland ahead, and the bench has come in and put them in a, in a successful position to at least win the game or have a chance to win the game. So Portland Trailblazers, uh, I think I don't think any Blazer fan is delusional in saying they're going to be competing with the likes of the Golden State Warriors, but I do think it's fair to say that Portland has put themselves in a good position to make the playoffs this year, and if they keep playing the way they have, they have a very good shot at finishing somewhere in the top four seats. Moving on to the number four pleasant surprise of the season, the Brooklyn Nets. Now, uh, I don't think anyone expected the Nets to be putting together a winning year. And it's, you know, it's almost unfortunate that they are because for the past several seasons, they haven't had any draft picks. And so all their bad finishes have really gotten them nowhere. And the one year where they finally have a draft pick, they are playing themselves into the playoffs and out of the lottery. But that is a huge testament to what general manager Sean Marks and the rest of the organization has been able to do with the talent that they have. Uh, being 27 and 23, 50 games into the season and the sixth seed in the East, I don't think many teams expected or many people expected them to be there. I sure didn't. There's a lot of teams like the Washington Wizards, uh, the Detroit Pistons, the Miami Heat, who you expected to see ahead of Brooklyn in the standings, and they are ahead of all those teams. Um, they are really making a push as of late. They did start the season a little slower, uh, but they've won eight of the past ten games. They're on currently a six-game winning streak, and that includes some some very impressive wins, such as beating Houston in Houston. Uh, now, one of the one point of concern for the Nets moving forward is the thumb injury to Spencer Dinwiddie, who has been a revelation this year. And, uh, you know, whenever you have a player having surgery, there's always going to be some question marks around his timetable to return. And uh, the, the one good thing I would say about the Spencer Dinwiddie injury is it's not a huge structural injury, right? It's not like a, a knee or an Achilles or an ankle where it's almost something that's prone to get re-injured very often. It's his thumb. And hopefully he can make a full recovery from that quickly and return to being the player that he's been uh, for the Nets all season long. 
But the Nets have really put together a very nice season. They're taking advantage of playing uh, in the Eastern Conference. They're 19-12 and 12 within their conference. They do have a little bit of a losing record against West Coast teams. Uh, but all in all, they've really done a great job. They're putting up a ton of points, uh, almost 112 a game. Their defense could improve. They're giving up uh, around 111 and a half. Uh, but for them to be where they are, uh, they really have put themselves in a place where they have a, a strong chance to make the playoffs, especially since uh, the number eight seed in the East is, is the Charlotte Hornets with a losing record. So they've given themselves a cushion. They're three games above the eighth seed um, and five games above the, the, the current ninth seed, which would be the Wizards. So you look at the rest of their year and um, they, they're going to be playing against a ton of East, East Coast competition still. Um, they're going to be able to have games against some of those bottom feeders, some of those teams that are at currently 20 wins or below. Uh, and they really have a strong chance to take advantage of their schedule and find themselves not just in the playoffs, but better than the eighth seed. They can they could be, they could stay at that sixth seed and right now, uh, as long as they can keep their level of play up and depending on how that Spencer Denwitty injury plays plays a factor uh to their team, I think that they are the favorite to be in that sixth seed come season's end. So moving on to the third biggest pleasant surprise of this NBA season. I have the Indiana Pacers, who are currently number three in the East with a record of 32 and 15. Now, some people, uh, for whatever reason, had written the Pacers off uh, over the offseason, and they had kind of pegged the top three teams in the East. There was this consensus that it was going to be the Raptors, the 76ers, and the Celtics. And uh, even though Indiana uh, played a good season last year, even though they took the Cavaliers to seven games and they did not lose by a lot in game seven, uh, for whatever reason, people were kind of writing them off uh, in the summer. And uh, the Pacers, I think <laughs> I think they might have taken that to heart because they are currently uh, ahead of the 76ers and ahead of the Celtics in the standings. Uh, the, the Pacers are doing a fantastic job of playing dominant basketball. And when I say dominant, you got to look at their points per game and their opponent's points per game and the differential. Differential is a huge indicator of success um, and of overall quality of the team. And in, in some, some aspects, I think even more than just the win-loss record. The Pacers are putting up 109 points a game, all right, which is solid. It's not, it's not, top tier. There's definitely teams putting up way more points in the game than that, but they're right there in the middle of the pack, but they're only giving up 103 points a game. And it goes to show you how much this game has evolved when I can say only 103 points a game. That used to be a ton of points, uh, but they actually have one of the stingier defenses and they have a point differential of plus 5.8. Uh, they're almost outscoring opponents per night, almost six points a game, which is the mark of a very good team. Now the Pacers have a huge concern moving forward, and it's going to be interesting to see how well uh, they can pick up for the void that is left with Victor Oladipo going down uh, with that ruptured quad. Uh, Victor Oladipo is obviously uh, their star player. It's He's the guy that makes the Pacers go. Um, but if there's any silver lining to be had is that the Pacers really don't rely on on Oladipo as a star and in, in the ways that some of the other teams might. Uh, for example, if you take Damian Lillard off the Trailblazers, the, the, that team <laughs> turns into a wreck, okay? 
Um, but but Victor Oladipo is having a down season. All right, he had a great year last year, uh, and he is down in points per game. He's down in field goal percentage and three point percentage. Uh, pretty much all stats across the board, he has seen a decline. Um, and his stats, if you look at them, are actually very very similar to his stats his sophomore year, his second year in the in in the league. And at that point, if you recall, his second year in the league, people still weren't sure what kind of player Oladipo was going to turn out to be. Uh, there were some people who kind of had that bust tag hanging over his head. But Victor Oladipo proved himself last year. Uh, he had a great season. And this year, it hasn't so much been Oladipo proving himself. It's been the Pacers proving themselves as a team. So, yes, they lost their best player. Yes, that's going to hurt. And uh, I don't know that the Pacers are going to be able to hang on to that three seed with the 76ers and the Celtics closing in behind them. Uh, but I do think the Pacers are a lock for the playoffs. Uh, I don't think there's much doubt there. They're 17 games above 500, um, and they're they have the benefit of playing in the Eastern Eastern Conference. So they're still going to play games with the likes of the the Cavaliers, the Knicks, the Bulls, the Hawks, the Magic, um, and so they still have an opportunity, even with the best player being out, to still get a lot of wins. And I think they can still compete with some of the better teams in the league. So just because Depot went down, uh, doesn't mean that the Pacers are down. And uh, I'm very curious to see how well they can pull off the rest of this year. Uh, but they've been a very pleasant surprise, and it hasn't been just one guy. It's been a whole team effort. And I'm curious to see how this team effort is going to continue as they have to pick up the slack left uh, by the injury to their best player. So the Pacers were the third biggest surprise, which means that the next team is going to be the second biggest surprise. And for that, I have... The Denver Nuggets. Uh, the Nuggets by no means were a bad team last year, but I don't think that anyone saw them being the second best team in the West. Uh, I don't think anyone saw that coming. And the reason why is because the Denver Nuggets uh, haven't had a, a true bona fide superstar. Now, uh, this year you could say they do because uh, Jokic has really really, really stepped it up. I mean, you talk about uh, a talented big man. The guy can score, he can rebound, and boy, can he pass. He's putting up 7.7 assists a game, which is more than anyone else on the Nuggets. He's leading the Nuggets in three statistical categories, which for a big man, that's huge. Pun very much intended. Uh, the Nuggets have always had a huge home court advantage because of the altitude in which they play, and this year is no different. They are 21-4 and four at home, uh, which is, uh, I do believe, tied with the Raptors uh, for the best home court record in the league so far. Uh, and they do leave a little bit to be desired on the road where they're only 11-11. and 11. You'd think that a team that's 17 games above 500 would have a winning record on the road, uh, which they don't. But nevertheless, their their uh, current record is very impressive. They're only a game and a half behind the Golden State Warriors. And for good stretches of the year, they were actually ahead of the Golden State Warriors. Uh, now, you have seen them cool off a little bit. They uh, are 6-4 and four in their last 10 games. And their lead over the Oklahoma City Thunder is only two and a half games. So uh, whether or not they finish the year in the two seed is, uh, I think, still up for the debate. Uh, but what's not up for the debate is that they're going to finish the year uh, in the top half of the playoff standings. And uh, I think that most analysts and experts 
had them pegged for more that eighth seed, uh, maybe on maybe missing the playoffs uh, in the very talented West, and they're not there at all. They're they're very much very comfortably on pace to make the playoffs. So barring any any injuries to their big players, uh, you know, as long as Jokic can stay healthy, uh, I don't see any reason why the Denver Nuggets are going to miss the playoffs and not have home court advantage in the first round. Okay, now before I get into uh, my number one pleasant surprise of this season, uh, I got to make a little bit of a shout out to the honorable mentions out there. Uh, I'm going to start with the Dallas Mavericks, who are currently 22 and 26. They are uh, out of the playoff picture as of right now, uh, and they're about four and a half games away from the eighth seed. Uh, but the Dallas Mavericks have been incredibly entertaining to watch this year, and that's thanks to the play of their star rookie, Luka Doncic, who looks like, at this point, the clear-cut favorite to win the Rookie of the Year award and the kind of player that you can really build a franchise around. Now, the reason why I left the Mavericks off my top five list is because uh, they do look like they're starting to fade down the stretch. They're four and six over the last ten. Uh, they don't really look like they have uh, a realistic shot of getting into the playoffs. Uh, and you you saw a step back from Dennis Smith Jr., who uh, you know was a very intriguing rookie last year, and it was uh, I was very curious to see how he'd do this season. And he's. Uh, disappointed, and I, I think that that's the general consensus around the league is that he's disappointed so far this year. And there's also been talks about friction between him and the Mavericks. Uh, there, I've seen some reports where they're uh, they're putting the uh, Dennis Smith Jr. up on uh, the trade market on the block. Uh, so as a whole, as a team, the Mavericks haven't surprised, but the player that they drafted. Their rookie certainly has, um, but this is a, this is a, a team ranking, so I'm keeping the Mavericks out of it for that reason. Uh, the other team that uh, receives honorable mention here, and there's actually I have two more, but one of them is the Milwaukee Bucks, and the Bucks are currently 35 and 12. They're number one in the East, and a lot of experts, a lot of analysts, a lot of those uh, basketball fans. Uh, had the as I said earlier when I was talking about the Pacers, they had the Raptors, the Sixers, and the Celtics pegged as the top three teams in the East. Um, the order was debated a lot, but there was that general consensus that those three teams were gonna were gonna be top three seeds, and the Milwaukee Bucks would be kind of around that fourth or fifth seed. And uh, the Milwaukee Bucks are ahead of all those teams, and they are looking excellent this year. Giannis, the Greek freak, continues to evolve his game and continues to be just a multifaceted game changer. Uh, the rest of their team is very solidly built. They they have a plethora of solid solid role players, some of which you could say are borderline all-star players, uh, like Chris Middleton. Uh, you can make a case for Eric Bledsoe. He's really done a nice job of re- resurrecting his career in Milwaukee. Um, their differential is plus 10. They're averaging 117 points a game, and they're giving up 107 Um They've played well at home. They've played well on the road. They've played well in the West. They've played well in the East. I mean, it doesn't really matter what split you're looking at. They have a very good record in, in, in just about every split. Um, so why am I keeping them outside of my top five surprises? Uh, well, the reason is I, I'm not that surprised. I'm, I'm not. Uh, 
the Milwaukee Bucks are achieving what I think they've been capable of achieving all along. I've really liked their roster construction for the past couple of years, and I feel like uh, this isn't a season where they've overachieved as much as in the previous seasons they have underachieved. Um, seeing as how this list is supposed to be the top five most surprising uh, revelations for the year, um, they, are, they aren't to me that's surprising. If they are to you, well, that's understandable. And if they're on your top five list, uh, then I have no issue with that either. Uh, the last team that I feel like uh, deserves an honorable mention is the LA Clippers. And, uh, you know, earlier I mentioned the Denver Nuggets having kind of that um, that label of not having a true superstar. Uh, obviously, that's changed now, Jokic in town. But the Clippers also are one of those teams that they have a lot of good players and not any real superstar, all-star caliber players. Tobias Harris has had a really nice season. Um, and, and you know, they got some other really solid contributors there. But the Clippers were expected to take a step back. I think a lot of people looked at their season last year and they were competing for the playoffs and they just missed. And people said, well, that's probably about as good as they're going to do. It's time to rebuild the team. Well, surprise! They're not rebuilding. They're 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 playing for the playoffs, and right now they're five games above, uh, above five hundred, and uh, they're edging out the LA Lakers um, for that final playoff spot. Who would have thought that at this point in the season, um, the Clippers would be the better team in LA? So uh, I think it's it's the Clippers were probably the hardest choice for me as far as who to leave out of my top five. Um, and if you feel like they should really, really be in there, I, I'm not going to argue with you on that one. Uh, but I do have some concerns uh, as far as the Clippers' success. Uh, they, their differential is only half a point a game. They've lost four out of the out of their last ten. Uh, excuse me, they're four and six over the last ten games. So you have seen uh, them start to kind of return to earth. And I am not very confident in their ability to make it to the playoffs. Do they have a chance? Absolutely. Are they a lock for that final eight seed? I, I don't think so. Uh, you, I look at the Spurs who have the same record, and I'm a lot more confident in the Spurs making the playoffs than I am in the Clippers. Whether that's fair or not, that's what it is, and that's my take. All right, now that I've finished up on the honorable mentions, it is time to crown the number one pleasant surprise of the NBA season. And that goes, without a doubt, no questions asked, to the Sacramento Kings. Uh, if, if you were paying attention to the NBA offseason or following along in the summer at all, uh, there were a lot of people that were making claims for several different teams to be in the playoff hunt, right? Obviously, you had the Warriors, always a favorite. The Rockets were expected to be there. Uh, the Nuggets, the Thunder, the Blazers, the Spurs, the Jazz, the Clippers, the Lakers, the Timberwolves, the Pelicans, these are all teams that were expected to be competing for those playoff spots. They were there last season. They, um, It was a tight race last year, and all those teams either uh, kept the talent or got better. Uh, and then you had teams like the, uh, the Mavericks, the Grizzlies, the Suns, okay? Uh, no, they weren't expected necessarily to be in the playoff hunt, but they were all expected to be better, right? Dallas made a, a huge pickup with Luka Doncic. Uh, the Memphis Grizzlies uh, got back Marc Gasol and Mike Connolly from injury, and the Phoenix Suns had the number one pick in the 
draft who they went with DeAndre Ayton uh, to partner up with Devin Booker. So they looked very exciting. Uh, so a lot of these teams on paper looked like they were ready to make a competitive step forward or continue to be as competitive as they were last year. And many of them have. Um, the one team, though, that everyone said, well, you know, if you have all these teams that are going to be competing and, and winning a lot of games, you know, someone is going to have to be losing uh, a whole heck of a lot. And I think everyone just kind of looked at the Kings and said, yeah, yeah, that, that's probably them. Um, and I know I'm guilty of that. But the fact of the matter is that they haven't been that at all. They are 25 and 24 right now at this point in the season. They're one game above 500 and one game shy of their 50th game. Uh, To put that into perspective, they are tied in record with the Los Angeles Lakers. Now, if you had told me before the season started that uh, 49 games in, the Lakers and the Kings would have the same exact record after the Lakers acquired LeBron James... I would have told you you were crazy, that you were smoking something, and that, you know, we should probably share that. Uh, but in all reality, joking aside, the uh, the Lakers were expected to be in the playoffs, the Kings, absolutely not. And uh, here they are, both teams tied and two games out of uh, the eighth seed. So the Kings still have a chance to make it. Now, I don't, I don't think they will. Um, you know, you look at their points per game, uh, you look at their differential, and they're right now at a negative 1.9. So the fact that they have a winning record at all is kind of, uh, kind of is a little bit of a statistical anomaly. But you can't you can't take away from what they've done. Um, Darren Fox, Buddy Heald have really stepped up their games, and I think it's fair to look at those two and say, you know, in five years. Excuse me, in two years, not even five years, in two years, those two could be a top five backcourt tandem. I don't, I don't think they're, they're far off from being a top ten backcourt tandem, and, and you very well might be able to make that argument. The Kings are still horribly mismanaged. Um, you know, I, 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 I just, I was beside myself during the draft when they decided to pass on Doncic. I mean, I don't know what they were thinking. I, I, I felt like going into that draft, there was two players that stood out above the rest. And then there was plenty of talent outside of that, but there was definitely two players that were the franchise cornerstones to build around. And the, the Sacramento Kings had a shot at Luka Doncic, and they decided to go with Marvin Bagley the third. Now, this isn't to say Bagley is going to be a bad player. Uh, he very well could be a great player. He, he's not bad at all as a rookie, but he's no Luka. And imagine if they had drafted Luka. Um, but despite getting in their own way, the coaching staff and the players have found ways of succeeding on the court and putting themselves in positions to win ball games and somehow in a position to make the playoffs. It has been wonderful to see, and it makes it incredibly easy to pick them as the most pleasant surprise so far in the NBA season. All right, so it is now time to discuss the top five most disappointing teams of the NBA season. Um, Let's go ahead and switch gears and jump right into it. At number five, I'm going with the Boston Celtics. 
Now, this isn't to say that Boston's a bad team by any stretch of the imagination. They're not. Uh, they're a very competitive team. They can take on anyone on any given night. Uh, but as of right now, they're currently in the five seed in the East, and I don't think anyone expected them to be there 50 games into the season, uh, especially given the success they had at the end of last year, especially in the playoffs. Uh, I mean, they were one quarter away uh, from beating LeBron James and the Cavaliers and making it to the finals uh, for, for a chance to play against Golden State. And the craziest part is they did all of that without their best players, right? Gordon Hayward, Kyrie Irving, they, they were out for most of the season. Um, and they were able to find role players to step up. You saw Jason Tatum, you saw Jalen Brown really relish in their roles. And there was a whole lot of optimism and a whole lot of people saying, hey, the Boston Celtics could be the top team in the East this, this year. And uh, on paper, for, for all intents and purposes, they very well should be. However, that simply hasn't been the case. And I, I don't think that uh, they really have much of a shot at catching up to the Bucks. Um, you know, they could still make a run for the two or the three seed. That, that, that certainly is very possible, especially now that the Pacers have lost Oladipo. But uh, the Celtics simply haven't played to where they, everyone kind of expected them to play. I know that a big part of, part of this reason is that when you have a team that succeeds based off chemistry um, and players buying into their roles, and then you, you change that chemistry by adding two high-usage players like Gordon Hayward and Kyrie Irving, then you're going to have uh, a little bit of uh, you know a bump in the road. You're going to have some chemistry issues, and, and you're definitely going to have to rediscover your identity as a team. And that can take a little bit of time. I just don't think that anyone expected a team that was coached by uh, Brad Stevens and that had as much talent as they did to take as long as they have. Um, they're on a five-game win streak right now, so they're definitely heading, heading in the right direction. But just to put that, you know, into uh, you know, a under a different lens, uh, they're thirty and eighteen right now. Five games ago, they were twenty-five and eighteen, um, which really isn't that far above five hundred. Now, I do think that they are definitely heading in the right direction. Um, I'm very curious and excited to see where they go from here. They're a very fun young team to watch, um, and by no means have have they hit a ceiling or, or hit a roof. Or does this mean that they aren't going to find success in the playoffs? Uh, I'm definitely not riding off the Boston Celtics. However, I am putting them at number five because I did expect more from them so far this year. At number four, for uh, the disappointing side of things, I have the Philadelphia 76ers. Uh, you know, and they're kind of similar as far as their position goes to the Boston Celtics in that they're not a bad team and they haven't put together a bad season. They're still a very good team. Um, just like the Celtics, they can beat anyone on any given night. Uh, but they haven't been where people expected them to be. You know, they were supposed to be a consensus top three team. They were definitely supposed to have a better record than the Pacers. And so far, that has not panned out this year. Not to say that it won't. They very well could make, uh, you know, a second half of the season push. Uh, but the 76ers spent a lot of time, many, many, many years in the lottery just fishing for talent, right? And they were they were getting high draft pick after high draft pick. 
Uh, and I think the most disappointing thing when you look at the 76ers roster is how few of them actually panned out. Uh, obviously, Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons, they, they turned out great. Uh, but, you know, you have to remember, the, the, this is the team that drafted uh, Nerlens Noel. This is the team that drafted uh, Jaleel Okafor. This is the team that drafted Markel Fultz, right? These, these are not uh, guys that came at any, you know, a low point in the lottery or in the draft. These are top three picks, uh, and they just, a lot of them didn't pan out. Uh, two of those three guys aren't even on the team anymore. And then you also had guys like Covington and Sarich, who they traded away to get Jimmy Butler. Um, now, I, I, I like the Jimmy Butler trade when it happened. I thought it was a great trade for the 76ers, and, and Jimmy Butler is definitely the type of talent uh, that can make the Sixers a better team, and he does seem to be meshing on core at least uh, with the rest of the players. However, there have been reports uh, like Jackie McMullen's earlier today that said that uh, the, the 76ers and Jimmy Butler maybe are not seeing eye-to-eye and... Uh, it, he very well could be leaving at the end of the season uh, to test the free agency waters and, and find another suitor, um, which if you're a Sixers fan, that, that's got to be a, a little bit alarming. Uh, the 76ers certainly have been able to acquire talent in the past seasons, but they don't seem quite able to fully develop or keep all their talent. Um, and, you know, and that brings into light, especially Markel Fultz, who obviously was injured a lot of last year and came back this year and he just, he just couldn't shoot. And it turns out, um, that, uh, you know, him and his agent have looked at other doctors. There's been a lot of drama there in, in Philadelphia, uh, and, uh, they diagnosed him with thoracic outlet, outlet syndrome, which is a very, a very rare condition uh, for NBA players, uh, but but very much could be a serious one, and so his his status is incredibly uncertain, and that's got to be disappointing, uh, because you know even if he didn't ever pan out to be the player everyone wanted him to be at the start of the season, at least he still had a lot of trade value, and the 76ers could have used him. Uh, to maybe bring in some more talent, someone more obviously more reliable that they could they could count on actually be able to play games. Uh, who knows what's going on with Marco Fultz and, and his shoulder? Uh, there are some people who don't think he's actually injured, and it could be something between the ears. He might be having some kind of mental mental issue. Um, there are some people who think obviously it is uh, what what the agent and Marco Fultz are saying it is. Uh, I'm not involved in the process, so I have no right to speculate one way or the other uh, I'm I'm simply just pointing out that uh, obviously there is a lot of drama involved in this situation uh, and uh, because of this as well as some of the other factors uh, the 76ers haven't quite been able to fully realize their potential as a squad um, you know if, if I'm going to look at them and I'm going to look at the Celtics and I'm going to say all right one of these if one of these two teams is going to make a push for the second half of the season I can only pick one I'm rolling with the Celtics. Uh, that's why I have Philadelphia a slot above them as far as disappointment goes, uh, because the the Celtics, uh, you know, for what it's worth, do have a differential uh, points wise of positive six point five compared to just three point eight for the Seventy Sixers. Three point eight isn't bad. It's nothing to sneeze at, but it's uh, it's definitely below that that kind of magic number five. Uh, that really seems to be the mark uh, that separates great teams from good teams. Um, and uh, if I had to pick one team to, to make a push, it wouldn't be the 76ers. It's possible, but I don't think it's likely. 
The third most disappointing team uh, for me at this point has to be the Phoenix Suns. And, okay, let, let, let's be reasonable here. No one expected the Phoenix Suns to be great. You looked at all the competition in the West, and you definitely pegged the Suns as one of those teams that was going to be on the outside looking in. But but I think that a lot of people saw the young talent on this roster, and they expected them to make some kind of step forward, to, to have an improvement over last year. They have Devin Booker, who is one of the best scoring guards in the league, and they locked him down to a long-term contract. You have DeAndre Ayton, who was the number one pick in the draft and a very imposing, physical, big specimen uh, of an athlete who should be making a bigger impact on games than than he is to this point. You have some other young talent like TJ Warren, uh, who, who's been a very promising player. Um, you brought you brought in a new coach uh, who, by all accounts, is supposed to be a very good coach. And, you know, everything pointed to the Phoenix Suns trending upwards this year, and that just hasn't happened. Uh, you had the issue there with Tyson Chandler where he uh, fell out of – favor with the rotation he didn't really want to play he didn't he wasn't really putting his heart into it and they ended up buying him out and releasing him uh just not a sign of good things and they really don't have the veteran leadership there uh to lead that team you know they have jamal crawford who's a very good player right he's a great veteran player uh, but he isn't a veteran leader. He's going to come in and be that mercenary that provides you points, that plays his role, that does what he has to do. Uh, but he's not going to be a—he's not going to take on that that responsibility of being a leader. This is a guy that's been on too many teams and has just embraced that role of being that that mercenary type player. Um, and then you got players like Dragon Bender, who you were hoping would make some kind of step forward. He hasn't. Uh, yeah, they did just make the trade for Kelly Oubre Jr., so it'll be interesting to see uh, how he does with that team. But this is a very young team, and it's a team that right now doesn't have much leadership and doesn't doesn't have anyone to show them how to win ball games, how to use the talent that they do have to start winning. And they do have talent, right? And that's why they're, they're, it's so disappointing to see them at this point in the season with only 11 wins. And I would love to see them do more. I wish they had, uh, but it just hasn't, hasn't been the case. I kind of expected them to, to kind of be in a bit of a, a role reversal with the Sacramento Kings. I thought the Kings would be where the Suns are right now at this point of the year and not the other way around. But they're not, and that's why they're on this list. My second most disappointing team, uh, now that we talked about the Suns, has to be the Washington Wizards. And, and, and the Wizards are not in the playoffs if they were to end today. And the fact of the matter is, there's just no excuse for it. None. This team is too talented, too experienced, too many guys on that team that know how to play NBA-level basketball for them to right now be 21-27 and 27 on the season. Uh, I mean, they still have a chance to make the playoffs. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. They're only two games out of it. But that's not because the Wizards are playing well. It's because the East has some really bad teams. You know, the 7th seed, the 8th seed, they both have losing records. Charlotte at the 8th seed is 23-25. and 25. The only reason the Wizards have a shot at making the playoffs is because they're in the East. If they were in the West, 
No chance. The number eight eight seed in the West is twenty seven and twenty two, five games above five games above five hundred. The Wizards have simply disappointed, and there's really no other way to put it. Uh, right now, I mean, okay, let's look at the positives here. They're fifteen and nine at home. Okay, so when they have home games, they they actually went at a decent clip. The downside to that, they're six and eighteen on the road. Six and eighteen. That means for every one road game that they win, they lose another three road games. They've been scoring about 112 points a game. Okay, not bad. But they're giving up almost 116. They are bleeding points away. Their defense is like Swiss cheese, just full of holes. And you can just go in wherever you want, score a bucket. Now, you look at the roster. You got Bradley Beal. You got Otto Porter. Yes, I know John Wall's been hurt. Okay. But even without John Wall, there's enough talent on this team, enough experience, enough veteran experience on this team that they should be competing every night and they should at least be at 500. And and they're well short of that. Is it possible that they make some kind of great run to finish off the season? I mean, I suppose not nothing uh, you know, in, in this league seems to be impossible, but it certainly doesn't seem likely. And I have been given zero reason to believe that the Wizards are ever going to fully turn it around. And even if they do, even if they do get to the point where they were able to improve their season enough to make it into the playoffs, they're just waiting to be eaten alive in the first round. I mean, there's no way they're going to beat the Milwaukee Bucks or the Toronto Raptors or even the Pacers or Sixers or Celtics. I mean, I don't think they'd have a shot against the Nets in a seven-game series. Uh, the Wizards have too much talent, as I've said before, and they should not be where they are. And uh, they're absolutely one of the biggest disappointments of this season, which is why they have very rightfully earned the number two spot. Now, before I reveal the top team that I've chosen for this list, uh, like before, I'm going to go ahead and give you my honorable mentions. And I, I have three teams, and they do happen to all play in the Western Conference. Let's start with the Houston Rockets. Uh, last year, the Rockets were fantastic. They had the best record in the West throughout the regular season. They took the Golden State Warriors to seven games. And if they could have hit a three-pointer in the second half, they very well could have beaten the Warriors in game seven. Uh, they, they couldn't. They went into the summer. And instead of getting better, uh, they made some very head-scratching moves. They, they, they let Trevor Ariza go. They let Mbamute Mute go. And on, on their own, those guys aren't you know especially amazing players. They're not going to wow you in any way. Uh, but they are very, very good players on the right team. And especially for the Rockets, for the skill sets they provided, uh, especially on defense, uh, they they played vital roles, and I thought it was very interesting to see the Rockets let them go, and they took a they took a role on Carmelo, and we all saw how that turned out. So the Rockets have disappointed, um, and they really started the season slow. And as of late, they've played a lot better. Uh, James Harden obviously is a big reason for that. He is just on an insane, insane run, um, and that play. Um, and the fact that they've gotten themselves back into the playoffs, they're currently at the number five seed in the West. They're 28 and 20. Uh, they still have a lot of uh, potential to move forward. They could very well pass the Blazers. They could very well pass the Thunder. I think there's a strong chance they finish at the three seed. 
Whether or not they actually do is yet to be determined. They definitely have been exposed uh, as far as their roster goes. Uh, but the one thing that has not been exposed is any weakness in James Harden and James Harden's offensive game because that man has been an, on an absolute tear, uh, putting up huge points on almost every team in the league. Uh, the next team that is on my honorable list for disappointments is the Minnesota Timberwolves. And, uh, you know, you look at them at, at being 24 and 25 at this point of the season um, after having a really good roster last year and carrying the, that roster to start this year, you might think they, they very well should be on this list. Well, the reason why they didn't make my top five is because they started the season with a lot of drama. You know, they had uh, the summer where they went with, uh, they had Jimmy Butler, Tom Thibodeau, uh, Carl Anthony Towns. They were all kind of buttonheads, and there was a lot of writing on the wall to imply that Jimmy Butler was on his way out. And sure enough, he was traded. Now, they got some nice players in, in return. Uh, Covington, Sarich are both quality role players. They still have Carl Anthony Towns. They still have Andrew Wiggins. Uh, you know, they have Jeff Teague, who's a very good point guard. So there's a lot of talent on this team. Um, but given how much drama, how much uncertainty there was circling around this team, it's not that surprising uh, that the Timberwolves have struggled this year. Uh, so to say that their year has been a disappointment would be a little bit of a stretch. Yeah, it's been a bit underwhelming. Uh, but they're not that far off from where I expect them to be, uh, given all the things uh, that they had going on, both on and off the court, uh, from the summer to the start of the season. And that takes me to my final honorable mention team, and that's the Los Angeles Lakers. Now, some of you might be shocked that I haven't put the Lakers in, in my top five list, because the Lakers, according to almost everyone I know, were expected to be uh, a top five team in the West. You know, some te- some people had them pegged as high as the number two seed. I think that's crazy. I am personally not shocked at all that Lakers are where they are. They're at twenty five and twenty four. They're two games back from the playoffs. They're tied with the Kings, which is which is surprising. But that's not because of the Lakers. That's because the Kings have played well above expectations. Look. When you add LeBron James to a team, yeah, he's going to make the team better. No doubt about it. But people were, I think, a little off when trying to calculate exactly how much better that he was going to make them and uh, exactly how well he would fit in with that style. Um, Now, I know I'm going to have a couple people point out that, well, he's been injured. Sure, yeah, absolutely. He has been injured, and he can't make an impact on the team when he's been injured, and it's been a while now. It's been several weeks, and it's still uncertain when exactly he's going to come back. should be soon, but um, but we still don't know that for sure yet. The thing is, when you have LeBron, who has very much dictated the pace and the style of play his entire career, and his career is very long, uh, he's played, I think, 15 seasons or something like that so far, uh, might be 16. And you have a player who's that that experienced and that used to controlling the flow of the game. And you put him on L.A. And so he came in with this all this talk about how they're going to run a fast-paced game, right? They're going to change his style or he was going to change his style. I think the one thing that stood out to me was he's probably going to get hurt at some point in the season. So the fact that he ended up getting hurt and the Lakers have suffered because of that, 
doesn't surprise me at all. I, I honestly expected this to happen. And I think the Lakers have to have a real conversation with themselves and say, you know, this is there's a possibility that LeBron James playing the style that we're trying to play of that showtime style basketball, of that push the ball up the court, getting those easy transition buckets. There's some serious concern whether LeBron James will be able to keep up that style of play uh, throughout his his uh, tenure there with the Lakers. I think for this season, the fact that he got hurt right in the middle of the season is probably the best-case scenario for the Lakers because he's going to come back hopefully soon, recharged, ready to go, and ready to make a, a strong push uh, to end the year. So if you're a Laker fan, the silver lining here is he got hurt at probably the best possible time. But another thing that people overlooked is is – the players that the Lakers had on the roster besides LeBron James, okay? Yes, they had um, Kuzma, they had Hart, they have Ball. Uh, you know, they have some really young, nice young talent, Brandon Ingram, right? They had the, what they were called the core four, right? Those are those four guys. But when you add LeBron to a team, you have to understand that he has such a high usage rate that not everyone is going to get better. Not everyone's going to get immediately or 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 more efficient, more impactful in their game. And when you have four young players that you're expecting to develop, I think it's statistically likely that at least two of them aren't going to. And so far that season, that's more or less played out. Um, you've seen Brandon Ingram. He hasn't made much progress. He's, he's really kind of evened out with the stats from last year. Lonzo Ball has had a dip in production. And to, to Lonzo's credit, the fact that uh, he's been able to improve his shooting a bit, has has kept him relevant, but he's still not a good shooter overall. And because he requires the ball to be his most effective, you've seen his assists go down, you've seen his rebounds go down, you've seen his minutes go down a bit, his points have gone down uh, across the board. Um, Hart has been surprising to me because I thought he'd make a bigger step forward than he than he has. He seems like the kind of player that would, would do very well next to LeBron James. The only one of those youngsters that's really taken that big big step forward is Kyle Kuzma. Um, but, but that's not that surprising given the fact that LeBron is such a high usage player. Uh, and then you got to look at the players that left, right? Julius Randle, Brooke Lopez. No, they're not all-star caliber players, but they're very good. And they're a reason why the Lakers won 35 games last year. So when people say, Hey, LeBron James should easily add 20 wins to any roster. Sure. You know, that's not, that's not an outlandish thing to say, but you weren't adding 20 wins to a 35-win roster. You were adding 20 wins to a 35-win roster that lost a couple of key guys that got them to those 35 wins. So the Lakers are right about now pretty much where I thought they would be. And for that reason, they avoided making my top five list. And now it is time to discuss the most disappointing team in the NBA this season. And that honor goes to the New Orleans Pelicans. The Pelicans are right now 22 and 28, six games below 500. After finishing as the number six seed in the West last season and eliminating the Portland Trailblazers in a sweep four games to zero. They were expected to step forward, right? They added Julius Randle. Drew Holiday has been playing well. They have uh, Nikola Mirotic. They they have obviously that incredible player that you may or may not have heard of 
Anthony Davis. There's no reason, no reason for the Pelicans to be the third worst team record-wise in the West 50 games into the season. Now, mathematically, they're not eliminated from the playoffs, but they do have quite the road ahead. They're five and a half games out from the eighth seed, um, and they just they just don't seem to be putting it together. They've lost their past three games. They're four and six over their past ten. Anthony Davis has been banged up recently. He's missed some games. Miritich has missed some time. Uh, this is a team that has always struggled to stay healthy. It seems like a lot of their key guys uh, go through injuries pretty, pretty frequently. Um, and, you know, kind of like the Wizards, they, they have a respectable home record, 15-8, and, and but their, their road record is just awful. They're 7-20. and 20. I don't know what happens to them on the road. They, they just forget how to play basketball. Uh, and, and the thing that that for me makes them take the cake as far as uh being the worst team in the league uh excuse me not the worst team the most disappointing team in the league uh is that they were so good to finish last year i i had you know when i looked at the start of the season i had them pegged as as a top four team in the west i thought that they would be competing uh for that fourth spot in the west and they would be making a good a good run for it. Uh, instead, they're they're in the bottom three of the West, and I just did not see that happening. And it and I've been one to to resist criticizing Anthony Davis uh, for his lack of success throughout a lot of his NBA career, his his inability to be a consistent winner in the in the NBA. But this season has made me ask the question. Right, it's gotten to that point where I have to wonder, why isn't he winning more games? I mean, he is supposed to be a top five player in the league, right? Uh, if you were to build a team, a lot of general managers would pick Anthony Davis as your guy to build around. But for whatever reason, he can't win games, and and it's not. You look at the team; they don't have a bad team. This is a talented roster, and. They just can't seem to pull it all together, which is crazy to me because they did such a good job of it last season to end the year, right? If you don't recall, uh, the Pelicans had put together a very nice run to the uh, to end the regular season. They swept the Blazers in the playoffs. Yes, they they got eliminated by Golden State, but you know <laughs> apparently everyone else does too. Uh, I just didn't see this coming. Uh, the Wizards. Yeah, they're shocking, but they've had chemistry issues for a while. And, you know, that, so the fact that it finally blew up in their faces, um, you know, I guess it's it's at least somewhat foreseeable. The Pelicans, there's just no understanding, no logic to me why they're as bad as they are this year. Um I mean, maybe it could it could be some some due to luck. You know, they do have a positive uh, points differential, which is very rare for a team that's this far below five hundred. They're plus one point five on the season, um, so that implies that they they've been losing a lot of closer games. Uh, but they've been struggling with conference play. They're thirteen and eighteen against the West Coast, and uh, that's just that's not going to do it. Uh, and they're only one game above 500 against Eastern teams. Excuse me, they're one game below 500 against Eastern teams. Uh, you know, so if if you can't beat the teams in your conference, which is a very difficult conference, you should at least. 
be looking to take advantage of the non-conference games, and they haven't been able to do that either. Uh, their 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 horrendous road records definitely no help to that. So, uh, you know, I gotta say, at the end of the day, no doubt about it, the New Orleans Pelicans, you have been the most disappointing team this NBA season. Well, that wraps up the State of the Association Address. Thank you very much for tuning in. The next time on Hoop Heads, we are going to look at the NBA All-Star Game. We're going to talk about the snubs, the NBA All-Star Draft, and we're going to make some predictions for the skills competition and the game itself. So please tune in next time. Till then, take care.